Hello, and thanks for listening to this episode of the Mount Sinai Health Partners podcast. I'm Rob Fields, CMO for Pop Health at Mount Sinai. I have a friend and colleague, Dave Kerwar, joining me today as Chief Product Officer for Mount Sinai Health System. Uh, thanks for joining us, Dave. Thanks for having me, Rob. Appreciate it. Sure thing. Uh, Dave, if you don't mind telling us a little bit about yourself and how you landed in, in New York and at Sinai. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, you know, I, I've been in healthcare for, for, I guess, 19 years now, which I always say kind of makes me part of the problem. So the solution now, but um, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I, I started my career as an engineer um, and kind of took the long arc from engineer to product management to building new businesses and kind of back back closer to tech um, when I came to, to Mount Sinai. Um, you know, I'd been at um, healthcare IT companies before this um, at a, a large one called Trizetto where we were building a provider facing business to, uh, to help connect providers and payers um, to work more collaboratively. Um, and then most recently I was at Aetna building out joint ventures between Aetna and its, its health system partners. Um, but when Mount Sinai called um, and said, you know, look, we want to hire a chief product officer because we think we need to sort of revolutionize how, you know, we, we work with consumers and different constituents and we need sort of a, a product thinking to that. Um, it was a really compelling opportunity to me. Um, you know, I've been in healthcare for a long time, I think, but one of the most, you know, compelling experience I've had is as a, a caregiver, actually. So, you know, my, um, my dad died from lung cancer in 2007, um, and I oversaw his care. And then my mom died uh, from leukemia in 2018. Oh, and, gosh, I had um, no idea. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. And it was, um, you know, dealing with trying to manage their care and, you know, deal with all the specialists and the drug companies they're working with and the insurance companies they're working with. And, you know, and, and, and I was in healthcare, you know, and I uh, knew the industry in and out. My wife's a dentist, so she arguably is, has the clinical side of things. And, mm -hmm. you know, we obviously speak English and are, are well-to-do enough that, you know, there shouldn't have been any barriers for us, but there were massive barriers. Um, and so, you know, I'd gotten annoyed enough at the healthcare industry that my wife had said, I think you need to do something about it and not just yeah. talk about it as a, uh, a health insurance executive at Aetna. Um, and so this was a really compelling opportunity to actually drive change at the ground floor with an incredible group of leaders like yourself at Mount Sinai that are just really doing really great stuff for our industry. Yeah, that's an amazing story, Dave. The, what's been the biggest difference, positive or negative, or just difference in general, I mean, without any value necessarily a place yeah. to it between the, the payer side and how they approach similar problems, I guess, compared to the delivery system side? So um, what I've noticed is, um, you know, when, when we were at, when I was at Aetna, um, and I think just large companies in general um, that are in the healthcare industry, but that don't have access to, um, you know, the consumer experience and to the provider experience. You know, we talk, when I was at Aetna, we would talk about things more um, in the abstract, like, mm -hmm geez, if we just need to provide a more consumer-centric experience and sort of we would just leave it at that and not really talk about, well, what does that mean? So what is the consumer experience in healthcare? Which, what are the parts that we can actually influence? Um, you know, and we would, so, so at Mount Sinai, and I think what we've done here is, you know, we recognize that when a consumer needs care, you know, they're probably going to end up going to their physician or to right. the health system that they have some level of loyalty to or the right. care, what have you. They're probably not going to go to their insurance company. And so when we, you know, on the insurance side, it was interesting because we could think about like, maybe we can educate them more about their benefits, or maybe we can make it really easy to get service or to get that prior authorization. There's some parts of the workflow that we can control. 
but there's not everything and there's not a lot of the stuff that really matters. Mm -hmm. And so what's really interesting about being on this side of the, of the, the chasm is that, um, you know, we have all the ways that consumers access, navigate, you know, receive and pay for care. We have um, control, we have a, a big hand in um, and consumers look to us to get it right. And so I think having that um, unfettered access has been probably the biggest, you know, positive for me, um, you know, and, and really feeling like we're doing something uh, right. to change this, not just talking about how it should be in an academic sense, but actually putting things in place. And right. sometimes we're succeeding and sometimes we're failing, but we're always learning. So that right. was, that's been an incredibly powerful uh, experience here. I bet. I mean, not to say that it's, that it's easy either, but I, I uh, as we all know, to get, getting things done, a large delivery system has its own, its own issues. Yeah. I mean, that's for sure. I mean, I think one of the things that um, large health systems, and I don't think Bounsana is probably, you know, um, alone in this is, you know, they've, they're, they're the product of, you know, a medical school and a number of hospitals and a physician practice. And so, you know, and the, there, there may not be the same level of governance that there's been in a sort of a for-profit insurance company where they've right. thought all about, okay, you have a national franchise and you have local markets and this is how everything's organized. So, so, so it's, it's interesting. I think there's, there's too much governance maybe sometimes on the, uh, on the large bureaucratic insurance side, and there's probably not enough sometimes on the, on the health <laughs> system side, but you right. know, um, there's, uh, I think that the, the, the benefits certainly outweigh the, the, the negatives uh, when it comes to, to that kind of, an issue. Right. So I was interested, this is probably not the most in, intuitive thing, at least it wasn't to me. So when you first joined the team and we were talking about or hearing about some of the things that your priority projects, um, one of the things that first came up was billing. And uh, that was actually a surprise to me until I learned more about it um, and realized what a hot mess it was. And uh, <laughs> I wonder if you could speak a little bit to that, because that may not seem like an intuitive initial priority, but if you talk a little bit about what that means as chief product officer to, to try that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, you know, I think when, when we started this team um, and when I started talking to leaders like you, and even before I came to Mount Sinai, I think the thesis behind this was, you know, as a health system evolves to be a 21st century health system, right? And a health system that can really operate and succeed in the 2020s. Um, it has to work differently with three constituents. Um, the payer, right? And obviously you see driven by a lot of the great work your team does. We, we are really uh, changing how we get paid for um, in, in a lot of the care we mm -hmm. provide. And we're being paid more on value um, versus just fee for service. And that requires us to think about more about how do we spend the right time with the patient and engage them between visits? And how do we um, ensure that they get more of their care, you know, in, in, in our, in our network, which right. we all own, but that we have some level of control so we can make sure the right things are happening to that patient. How do we engage them and monitor them uh, when they're at home? You know, mm -hmm. so there's a whole slew of like new uh, actions that we want to take with payers. And the second constituent was employers, right? And how a health system could really start to engage directly with the purchasers of healthcare, namely, you know, self-insured employers in their market and say, geez, if you need a, you know, you should, you're still going to need a broad network health insurance product. And that's going to 
cost you and an employer 8% increase year over year, but mm -hmm. maybe you can start to send more of your patients to us if they, for a bundled care uh, kind of solution, or maybe we can put an on-site near site or virtualized health center in your, in your employer site. Um, and that, that can really start to refactor how you, your employees receive care. Um, and so there's a, there's obviously a lot of digital requirements there. Mm -hmm. And then finally the consumer, right. In this old notion of, you know, uh, hey, I used to maybe 20 years ago, a health system just had to be in a, the right payer network and the right, payer right. product and the, the members would just show up or the patients right. would show up. Now we really have to be a consumer acquisition engine. And we have to think of ourselves as how do we become the first stop when a patient needs care? Mm -hmm. um, so, so to your point, you know, we, when we looked at, okay, well, where are we going to focus? We focused on access. We focused on navigation. Um, but payment was sort of that last stop. And I think the reason why, um, you know, when we look at underneath the, the hood on payment, um, why it becomes important, you know, certainly you want a bill that you can understand, you know, and that's definitely part of it. But part of it is also just, we're expecting consumers to now make a more informed decision about their care, right? So if you're, right. if you're in one of those you know, on the payer side, if you're in a high deductible health plan, or even if you're in some sort of health plan that has benefit constructs that are trying to financially incentivize you to make better decisions, mm -hmm. how can they do that if they don't understand how much something's going to cost right. at the point of booking or at the point of referral? And on the flip side, how can you expect a physician, you know, um, to know how much something's going to cost? I mean, you know, you, you, you're probably frustrated. This is as a lot of, a lot of the physician community is, but I've yet to go on into an EMR and say, oh, okay, this is exactly how much doing this to this patient will cost, right. you know, That's the healthcare system. Right. There's not a lot of that that we show the, 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 the providers. So um, I think transparency into cost for both the benefit of the consumer, the benefit of the employer and the benefit of the insurance company, and most importantly, the benefit of the, the, the physician um, is a big piece of that. Mm -hmm. um, I do think, you know, when patients have all of these different bills that come at them and, and, you know, the healthcare industry is the only one that, you know, we always talk about this. We're the only industry that sort of like lays out a really complex supply chain. And we say, consumer, you figure it out, right? We're not going to try right. to figure it out. You figure it out. So we mapped out, you know, at an academic medical center, God forbid you should have a coronary event. Um, you could get something like 14 different bills from that. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Right. Ambulance and the emergency room and the emergency room physician and the, you know, the lab and et cetera. So, um, you know, these are all things that uh, at the end of the day, if that's the last experience a patient has and says, mm, wow, 14 different bills, eventually they're going to start to sort of say, well, I didn't know how much this was going to cost before I got into it. Um, I got a bill that I was actually, you know, more than expected. And, and then I went and tried to get service on it. And I had three different phone calls that I had to make. And then I was, I was sent to my payer that's a pretty frustrating experience you have yeah, at the end absolutely. of the life that, that you want to probably fix. And so it, it did become, it was, it was a little bit of an oddball um, that it went with access and navigation, but it became a, a big enough to satisfy that we felt like we had to focus on that as well. Yeah. Uh, with a, with a great product in the end. I'm, I'm, um, mm -hmm. the, the other stuff you guys are working on is probably more, I think classically what we were thinking the, the, the team was going to be working on now. Although I, I think your points on the, on the payment piece are really important. Um, but it's more on the uh, sort of digital experience of our customers thinking about it that way. Um, what, you know, I, I think it sounds like you were, you have been working on this sort of problem here for some time. 
Do you feel like delivery systems as a whole are a little slower? I mean, which is often the case than the rest of the world in getting it. It doesn't feel as common, at least in the way that I think your team is approaching it, um, as it as it has in other industries. Is that true or? Yeah, I think I, I think it's 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 true, but for probably good reason. Um, you know, I mean, I think that the the consumer experience in other industries is organized around an order, right? And so, you know, if I if you and I want to fly to, you know, once we can start flying again, we can fly. <laughs> you know, we kind of have in our mindset, okay, I, I'm going to order a, a plane ticket, and we can go onto the Google Flights website, and we can say, okay you know, here are my purchasing preferences. Like I care about price and I, but I also want comfort. Um, and we get the general idea of exactly what we need. We know where to go. We know what to ask for and we, and we get the product. You know, I think in a large academic medical center, the product is not just one skew that you can just sort of serve up and say, okay, you know, here is this, this thing we're going to give you. And, and, and when you look at, you know, help, you know, at, at some of the probably, non-tertiary, non-quaternary, you know, healthcare providers, even if I go to like an urgent care, you know, center, I kind of, as a consumer intuitively know, I'm going to walk in there and I probably can't get open heart surgery. You know, right. there's only right. a couple of things I can get there. And so they can be organized really around an order and say, okay, when we look at our data, consumers are coming in, probably 80% of consumers are coming in with these 10 clinical needs. And let's right. get really good at doing that. Um, right. And an academic medical center, it, it can it can run the gamut. It could be urgent care, it could be primary care, it could be virtual care, it could be, you know, um, some level of requiring hospitalizations, not hospitalizations, right. ambulatory surgery. So it's just the 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 permutations of clinical experiences that we offer. And I think yeah, you have to be all things to all people, essentially. Exactly. Right. So trying to build a, a consumer experience around that is actually really really challenging mm -hmm. and interesting. Um, so you know, I think that's probably why one of the reasons why it's been slower to really adopt. And I imagine part of it is that like, you know, health, they haven't had the same pressure to be able to do that. But I think we're feeling that like every other health system now more than ever to, to evolve and to be more consumer centric. Yeah. And I'd like to actually come back to maybe a more obvious question around COVID and how that's either fast forwarded or changed that strategy, but we'll come back to that. I, yeah. I, I wanted to ask about what you decide to tackle first. So when you first came in, I know you worked with our, our, um, with Stephen Furio was on our podcast before on the commercialization team on yeah. the direct to employer relationships. And even there, there are a myriad of problems you, you could have worked on. Uh, tell me how you decided on the V1 product that you put out there for that team. And if you do, for those that don't aren't aware, maybe summarize a little bit about what it did. Yeah, for sure. So I think one of the things that we knew, um, and it kind of goes back to your last question too, is, is that if we're going to change the consumer experience in healthcare, we we have to certainly probably think about the creation of technology. But that ends up being like five percent of the of the of the exercise. It's mm -hmm. also about like how do you change the operations um, and the people and the process and the culture and the incentive structures and all the other things that go into uh, impacting the consumer experience. Mm -hmm. And so. Um, you know, the commercialization team at Mount Sinai has a, um, a great product that they sell to, um, I'd say, employers, mostly to self-insured employers, which is essentially one, one of the things is an on-site, near-site, and now because of COVID, a very virtualized health center. So the idea is, you know, if, if they can put a health center um, and, and offer that to uh, sell that to an employer who then offers it to their employees, mm -hmm. and they make it really, really convenient to get into care um, and 
not just to get care, but also to get navigated and to get answers when I feel like I don't feel well and that they can almost become the first call or chat or text for those employees when they need care. You know, the idea is that they're going to get care more actively. They won't spend as much time waiting um, and they'll have a better experience. And, um, you know, and I think that that a lot of that is, okay, well, you know, we can virtualize as much of the healthcare experience. So even pre-COVID, we were really focused on, let's try to take every part of the care experience that can be virtualized and virtualize it. For those that can't be, let's try to make it so there's a zero wait time. Mm-hmm. And then let's try to really follow up to make sure that we can not just do, there's only so much that will happen to the employee in the health center. We're eventually going to right. bring them to Mount Sinai into a, you know, a specialist or a hospital, God forbid. Um, and let's navigate them through that whole experience. So those were some of the things that we were obsessing about. I think the value um, of starting there was it allowed us to be, have a very tight relationship with that team and really not just co-design the technology, but co-design the operational workflows and the right. navigation workflows and right. think about benefit, the you know, incentive structures and things like that. Um, and so that we weren't just putting out a, a digital tool, but we were really almost building an outcome for them. And then the other big value is it became really um, a compelling use case or demonstration site that we could then point others back to and say, why can't healthcare look more like this? Um, And and, and almost get people excited about it as we tried to bring this throughout the rest of Mount Sinai and the rest of the industry. Um, And I think we, you know, I would, I would put your, your team in that bucket too, um, where we were able to really tightly partner around the operation. Um, You know, I think a lot of our, our work started, you know, during COVID and, and did, yeah. pulled out of it. But for that same reason, you know, really kind of focusing on not just, you know, what is this chat experience going to look like, but who's going to answer it? What's the workflow? How do we ensure that we can try to bring patients back to it? How do we follow up if we can't deal with it? Um, and, and really this really great uh, partnership around technology, operations, people, culture, things like that. So that's where we've, we really focus on is these, these types of demonstration sites where we can have kind of full thickness access to everything that might impact the consumer experience and then partner with really progressive leaders like yourself and your team to be able to, to change that and know that it's not going to be easy and that we might open ourselves up to some failures from time to time, but sure. we're, we're always going to be making iterative improvements and, 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 and we're going to probably succeed a lot faster because we're, we're, we're doing the courageous thing to, to, to take that risk. Right. I mean, and we could probably, talk every week and the tools already evolving so much, but in that initial platform, like technically, if you can describe a little bit what it did so folks understand what we're talking about. Yeah, for sure. So um, initially, you know, we were focused, you know, we were focused on access, navigation and payment. Um, We, I would say it was initially focused more on access and navigation. Okay. Um, So uh, the, the idea in the health center uh, context is an employee can come on um, and they can register. We have an omni-channel solution. So we've been really focused on offering everything via web, mobile web, SMS um, as, a, as a way of getting into the experience and then native mobile app. So, um, you know, they can come on, they can, they can enroll on the platform. After they enroll, they now have access to um, chat, uh, not just with a chat bot, with a live chat navigator, basically, that can help them through any kind of healthcare need they have. We've integrated very deeply with our medical record with Epic. So it's not just chatting and sort of tapping back and forth, but you've got this notion of widgets, Mm -hmm. um, which are kind of graphical representations of a transaction. So if I need to schedule care, I have a graphical representation where I could see all the providers I might want to schedule, swipe through the providers and then swipe through the time once I find the provider I want and book Mm -hmm. just by pressing the, the tapping the time. 
um, they can they can access all elements of their medical record, um, labs, visit history, things like that. They can they can direct message their providers. Um, they can pay their bills through it, and and then they can self schedule care. At the higher level, what we were sort of thinking is we have to make it really easy for a consumer to do two things. You know, at sometimes they're going to just be able to do stuff by themselves, right? They don't need they don't need help, but a lot of times they're going to need guided care. Right. And how are we going to make that guided care be something that's easily accessible by text, by in-app chat, by phone, by all these different ways that they can get in um, so that they're never, they're never felt like they're, they're, they're left to their own volition on these things. Yeah. And on the attendance side, especially on the live chat piece, how different or the same is it from when I was actually just on a chat with, uh, um, with my credit card because I booked my travel through them and it, and I actually love it. I've done it with Verizon. I love, love the experience. Is it similar yeah. to that process? I think from the attendant point of view there. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, it is, you know, so basically what, what happens is when you pop in, you know, we, we, uh, we connect you with your medical record. Um, and then we show the attendant, Hey, Rob Field is coming. Um, and, and, and we're building this out. It's going to be like, here, here's Rob Fields. Here's everything we know about him, right? And this is where it gets really, really interesting for um, as we think about some of the clinical use cases mm-hmm. that our teams are working on closer together. So, if I know Rob Fields is actually, you know, has the following conditions, the following visit history, is maybe attributed to one of my value-based care contracts, mm-hmm. um, has certain care gaps open, you know, I have this like moment of of this golden moment, like we like to it's call an opportunity, it, right? To, to really, yeah, engage with you. So you might be coming to me and saying, "Hey, look, I just need to be able to book this annual wellness appointment, or I need you to, I need you to re- reauthorize the script." Great, we will definitely do that. If we've got you there, though, could we? Can we basically take the opportunity to, to do, you know, take transactions, take action on your behalf to try to prevent issues happening down the road? Um, I think we, 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 we got this from, I mean, Kaiser Permanente does this very well, right? Where they, the, 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 the use cases, like you could come into your pharmacy to refill a script and you could leave having gotten a flu shot and an appointment for your wellness exam. And, you know, if you had medic, uh, if you had food insecurities, you know, a referral to a local food bank, you know, so how do we, that, that's what we're building out on the agent side is that ability to really have a 360 degree view and almost create the notion of an, what I like to call an autonomous agent, where we are detecting what the patient is, is chatting or telling if it's a phone call, the, the, the agent. And the agent has workflow automation, basically capabilities on their side of saying, yeah. oh, you know, the patient just mentioned COVID. Here's the five test sites that, that, that Mount Sinai has right now. Um, and, and basically makes it really easy for them to serve up that, that widget in chat. Um, or, hey, the patient just, you know, this patient is in a value-based care arrangement and we really need them to have a video visit with this uh, physician to follow up on a recent hospital discharge, book that right now, you know? So yeah. those are the things that we're really trying to focus on the agent. Right now it's, it's um, you know, it's evolving towards there, but we think it's going to be, that will be the secret sauce behind, you know, really changing a lot of what we, we try to build from a business perspective. I imagine on the development side and engineering side, probably not that long ago, you know, there were uh, only a handful of companies probably with the, with the skills to be able to achieve the vision that you just described from a service level, take live chat, analyze it, service up widgets for the attendant to facilitate. 
I think you and I have talked about it before and we had conversations with some other companies trying to talk about, we always talk about reducing variations on the clinical side with physicians, but reducing variation on the attendant side to make every attendant function like the best attendant. You know, I think that was a phrase I might've stolen it from you actually. Um, (laughs) But uh, is that now commoditized in such a way where it's much easier from a development and engineering perspective to put those, that kind of tool set together? Yeah. I, I mean, I think it is, it's very interesting. I was talking to someone about this earlier. It's like, there's sort of this constant cycle of commoditization and it probably occurs throughout technology, right? Which is a good thing. Um, but, you know, we see, we, 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 we build our platform off AWS. Um, and, you know, when you look at some of the capabilities that we get out of the box from AWS, you know, it's, it's actually like, oh, wow, you know, we can start to do things like artificial inte- implanting artificial intelligence or doing right. natural language processing because right. of, not by buying this really expensive other right. tool, but leveraging stuff that comes out of the box with high value vendors like, you know, AWS, we use Twilio a lot for those right. types of things. And so, and it's really interesting because I think, you know, what, what is valuable from our team's perspective is yes, the ability to build the tech, you know, with the understanding that like probably the tech will be commoditized in six months and that's fine because the moat that we've created is not the tech itself, but it's how deeply embedded it is into the workflow into the operations. The chain Absolutely. Of the system. Yeah. and the fact that it's co-designed around specific business and clinical outcomes by working with experts like you exactly. and your team. Right. So it's not like, you know, uh, a startup or a Google can create something like that's, that's, you know, that looks great from the outside may look great from a consumer's perspective, but it's only going to be as useful as it's deeply connected to the provider workflow Absolutely. connected to the supply chain and the health system. Yeah. So that's, that's been one of our, uh, you know, we, we, we know uh, commoditization is going to happen. We expect it to, but as long as we can always be one step ahead on, on the, the connectedness into the supply chain, we think that we'll, we've got a pretty good moat um, to, to compete from. No, absolutely. I, for, for those that are listening that are interested in care management, for example, on the pop health side, it's often known that care management is uh it's an imperfect process. It's not as scientific as we would like for it to be. Um, and there are as many studies that say that care management is worthless as it says that, you know, provides the most unbelievable outcomes. And it's often yeah. related to a couple of things, predictive analytics, you know, selecting the right segment of the population that's impactable as part of it. Um, but also it can be up to the individual social worker, nurse, care coordinator, coach on the line and their ability to engage a person and ask the right questions and draw them into the conversation. Um, and so we're excited about, you know, what you guys are building. We're, you know, starting off with doing uh, a few things in care management with you guys, but your vision as you've described it, hopefully will get us to that. We take every opportunity with an interaction with us because we spend hours, you know, cold calling people trying to reach them. So we got to take advantage of every opportunity. Yeah. And I mean, you know, and the other thing is along those lines is that, you know, every patient's going to be a little bit different, you know, and so right. you know, exactly. very different, right. And some might be more adaptable and more impactable by, you know, in a, in a frictionless chat. You know, right. and others might be really required. Like, you know, I was, t- I was talking to someone from city block, you know, a few weeks ago and they were like, you know, sometimes we have to go meet a member in the ED seven or eight times before they decide that, you know what, you're right. I need your help. Let's, let's work together. Mm-hmm. on this. You know, so how I like being, I think the other thing that we can do with this is really understanding impactability and what's the best way of engaging with this. Cause it could be, yeah, I'm a caregiver for my mom and I just really need to just want to be able to chat and that's all I want. I don't want a phone call, I want a video. I definitely don't want to talk to you in person. 
you know, or it could be like, you know, I, the only way you're really going to make me operate differently is that if you show up at my front door, or if we meet together in a, in a, you know, an emergency room. And I think some of this, some of the technology can help to even sort of segment patients into each of those differently and, and help to make different decisions. I, for one, think the care management is, is the key to the future. And I think it's just more, it's been difficult for the care manager to be able to do their job because they haven't had access to the, the tools and information yep. to be able to be a, as, as effective to do what they need to do. Um, so they're right. left with the, the only option, which is like, okay, I'll just cold call, cold call, cold call, which, you know, is, is, it's going to, it's, it's not the best use of their time or their talent either. Right. No, absolutely true. Um, Dave, as we're kind of closing it on time, um, I wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, you're almost building, I mean, as the title says it all, your chief product officer, you're building a technology company within a large health system um, and has all the same engineers, you know, uh, product design, anything that a, a, a tech startup would have, but within a large health system. And when you recruit, you you have folks that probably have options to go to some tech firm or, 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 you know, work for a health system. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about that process and about recruiting, retaining, and, and what drives folks to make a choice to work for a place like Sinai as opposed to, as opposed to Google or you know, some, some other tech company. Yeah, no, hundred percent. Um, you know, I think when we talk to, um, potential, you know, people that are interested in joining our team, um, you know, I think we opt, we, we, there's a self-selection that occurs there. And I think those that self-select usually do it for two reasons. Um, you know, I mean, I think they, 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 there's, there's the stuff that everyone looks for, like, okay, am I going to make a fair compensation? Do I like mm -hmm. the team? Do I like the culture? All that stuff. And I think we do a pretty good job on that front. It's clearly we're not Google, right? There's, you know, as, 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 uh, our boss once offered us, and I'll give you as much equity as you want in Mount Sinai. It's all going to be zero. <laughs> <We're not the laughs> so, um, that's right. So I think on the compensation front, you know, we, we, we pay fairly and that's all great. But I think the two things that really get someone over here are um, one, the, the mission driven or the nature of our organization, right. That, you know, and, and, and I know that sounds sort of fluffy, but it's like, you can look at Mount Sinai and, 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 and you know, we, on a good year, right, we'll probably schedule ourselves to lose a little bit of money as a health system because every additional dollar we bring in a profit, we really, unlike other health systems around the country, try to focus on how do we give that to a Medicaid patient in the form of a better care experience. Um, so the notion of being you know, tied, embedded within a health system that is so mission-oriented in that world, I think is incredibly important. And that goes, and that, and that means all the, you know, physicians and the leaders and the care managers, you know, and I think that's a, a pretty unique experience. I think the other thing that, that I've noticed is that um, particularly with a lot of the product and engineering and design folks we've talked to, you know, they're, they've, they've grown tired of um, probably big tech in some ways of working in there. Some have worked in there in the past right? Um, or sort of these sort of startups that are sort of niche um, because I think they see, you're not, you know, when you come to Mount Sinai, you'll have unbridled access to the physician experience and to the consumer experience and to the administrator experience, if you will. And you'll really be able to see everything that's wrong. I often say that, you know, in order to change healthcare, you have to sort of imagine yourself as a building inspector, right? Imagine you're walking into a building and you say, okay, if I take down that wall, is the entire, you know, foundation going to fall apart? Or right. is it, it falls there for a stupid reason and we should take right. it down? It's really hard to to have that that intuition um, if you are 
you know, operating from the outside. But if you're if you're operating from inside the belly of the beast from outside, you have that unbridled access, and that and the IP you develop, the internal IP you develop for, uh, with that is actually invaluable and really offers the opportunity to, to, to fundamentally change, not just the experience at Mount Sinai, but across the, the industry. So I think that's been the other thing that really helps us attract the best and the brightest. And I, I, you know, I'm biased, but I think we create a pretty awesome team over here. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and, and they've been really lucky to work with teams like yours and, and others, Rob. I appreciate that. It's, it's a great team where uh, it's been really fun work. So we're excited to hopefully get to, see your vision in action and use it within pop health. So it's, it's great. Um, in particular for vulnerable populations and, and getting them access in a way they haven't had before. It's uh, it's pretty great work. So appreciate what you guys do. Definitely. We, we, we appreciate the chance to work with you. Well, thanks for your time, David. And um, thanks for sharing your story and your vision for what you guys are going to do and, um, and for taking the time. Thanks, Rob. I really appreciate it. Sure thing. If folks have ideas for a future podcast, please email me at robert.fields at mountsinai.org. Thanks a lot.